Hi, and welcome to What's Best for Kids, a podcast that digs deep into what educators wish parents knew about education and what parents wish educators knew about parenting. I'm your host, Rob Copo. I'm the parent of two kids who went to public school, and I've been in public education for more than 25 years as a teacher, a coach, and an administrator. I'm currently the principal of Torrey Pines High School in San Diego, California, and every day I ask myself, what's best for kids? On today's show, we're going to talk about the desire of some parents to bubble wrap their kids to protect them from negative experiences. Is it helping or hurting? With me to discuss this important topic is Don Collins, a retired educator and father of two. Don, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. I know you're busy juggling twins, so I appreciate you making some time to chat about this topic. We've talked a lot about this over the years, and before we get started, why don't we start with a little background information about you and how he came to work, uh, how we came to work together at Tory Pines? Right on. Thank you so much for having me, Rob. I uh, really appreciate being here, and especially appreciate what you're doing by uh, putting together this podcast to generate some conversations and help educate all of us. Uh, I started teaching uh, in 1996, um, San Marcos, and uh, <clears throat> I had worked in uh, public relations in the military after graduating from Pomona College, ran a halfway house, uh, funding for that. I'd worked in sales. Uh, the funding for that program ran out, and um, and I went and saw a career counselor, and through a lot of work with What Color Is Your Parachute and other things, um, I, I came to understand that my, what I do is help people understand things. So that's how I ended up in becoming a teacher. Uh, finished at the district after 25 years, but started at Earl Warren in middle school. Uh, two years after Earl Warren, I was selected to move up to the continuation school, which is a very small, um, intimate, amazing place. Um, worked there for a dozen years and then came to Torrey Pines 2010. And that's when you and I started working together. Right. That's right. I had uh, started in 08. And then a couple of years later, you came over and then I spend a lot of time in your classroom uh, in therapy sessions <laughs> trying to figure out how to run this small a city. A dozen years ago. Yeah. So the topic, as you know, today is, uh, uh, is bubble-wrapped kids. And, you know, we've uh, both worked with a large number of students who have advantages others don't. And one of the advantages our kids uh, have is that many parents work hard to protect their kids from negative experiences. We use the term bubble wrapped. I've even used it in my vision presentation at one point, talking about the state of our students and had a you know Google images of a uh, a mom bubble wrapping her kid. And what's been your experience? You've had a very diverse background. Uh, and what's been your experience with this concept of bubble wrapped kids? Well, the fact that that image exists on Google speaks to the <laughs> fact that it's a you know a, a, right. that's a good something point. that's going on across the nation and yeah. likely across the world at some level. Um, let's see. Uh, personally, as a parent of twin four-year-old boys, um, I, I understand and appreciate parenthood in a way that I didn't for most of the time that I was teaching. Um, and the, the, every, what I know is that every parent wants their kid to be independent, successful, and happy. I've never met a parent... True. that didn't want their, their kid to be independent, successful, and happy. The question, of course, is how do we get them there? And uh, part of the experience of working at Sunset, which was the continuation school for kids that are there for a variety of reasons. Some kids were 
uh, uh, involuntarily transferred there. Other kids chose to go there. Some kids ended up there because they were behind in credits or other, there's a myriad of factors. But those kids were in general much more resilient because they had had to face adversity. Um, I taught a ninth grade class with 20 kids in it and 19 of those 20 kids had uh, were, were in single parent homes. Some of the had parents that had died. Some of them had uh, gone through difficult divorces, uh, you know, the family had. And um, I'm adversity, challenge requires people to step up and requires development of fortitude. Uh, Carl Jung says that life is filled with obstacles and they're required in order to bring out what we need. So, uh, you know, again, as a, a parent of twin four-year-old boys that constantly want to fight and wrestle and, <laughs> and I, I, you know, the, the rules are not nothing above the neck, like no grabbing the neck. <laughs> Other than that, body body shots are fine. Uh, but but um, it, I, I've had a lot of experience in 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 as a teacher talking with parents who are trying to do the kid's job and uh and and i and i've had parents actually do the kid's homework as a math teacher um which is great that the parent knows the math but that doesn't make the kid any stronger at the math um so i think the the question is how can we support kids how can we structure the environments for them to feel safe enough to try and challenged enough to learn but not so challenge that they feel defeated or that there's no hope. I mean, that's the bridge that I think most people have to figure out. And I think that's the slippery slope that you and I have been on in education for a long time because we are both unapologetically Gen X. True. We are latchkey kids. Um, you know, I, I fully admit being a feral kid in the 70s and 80s and, you, you know, know, you rode your bike and all, all the grumpy old man memes that we've seen. I didn't come home until the lights came on, the street lights came on. And, you know, I still think about that. My mom would let us, we left at eight in the morning and I was right. on my bike and I came home at eight at night and, you know, we, there were no cell phones. So she didn't, she, and she worked. And the truth is she trusted me. And that was, uh, that bond and trust was essential. And she also didn't expect that I wasn't going to, uh, uh, misbehave or do things that teenagers do or what have you. And, uh, and there, there was also never any question, um, from her that she believed the teachers that she would follow the teach, you know, that the school rules were right. the rules that right. I had to follow and, you know, and, and that it was on me to, 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 it, to, to fit myself to the school and to the classroom and to the teacher, even with the difficult teachers that, you know, as a big, one thing as a big guy, there were teachers that kind of came at me sideways simply by virtue of my size and, and my personality. Well, and, you know, that was a life lesson for me to figure out how do I work with that teacher. And since nobody listening can see you right now, you might want to tell them how tall you are. <laughs> uh, yeah, six foot four and 250 pounds. All right. So, yeah, like you said, a big guy. And um, we've talked frequently about what we gained from those experiences and what we lost. I mean, I'm not going to say it was great to come home at eight o'clock and have my mom still out and have to figure out dinner on my own and, you know, get my lunch and my laundry, everything, uh, going at age eight, you know, maybe that wasn't <laughs> the best thing. Um, but it certainly made me more independent, more resilient later on. And I, and I, that's what I was talking about trying to find this happy medium between, you know, what is sometimes called the lawnmower parent or the helicopter parent, or, you know, put on whatever 
judgment we want to put up from somebody else who's crossing their arms going, well, that's not me, even though I know it's me. Um, mm -hmm. I've put my kids in a bubble and have showered them with service love over their, uh, over the years. And then, you know, kicked myself later when, um, they expect it. Right. Um, literally happened last night. Um, you know, uh, but I won't go into that one, go into too much detail right now. <laughs> um, but you know, I started really reflecting on it as we were talking about this, uh, about this idea of, you know, we've worked really hard at Tory Pines on resilience, making that our focus. Part of our social emotional learning is about resilience, not about mowing things out of the way. And it's funny you brought up the, the fact that that picture is even on the internet at all, or how many memes and quotes about overcoming and adversity and all that do adults put on Facebook. And yet the second the kids got a challenge is this can't happen. Mm -hmm. You know, I get the angry email, this can't happen. Or they call the mm -hmm. teacher and say, um, but do you know what this will do to their self-esteem? And that's been part of my struggle is I want, I want to grab them and say, yeah, they got a C on a quiz. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the point of the grade is that that means they know they need to work a little harder next time to figure out what they missed. So let's work together on that message because kids are mirrors and, and, and the lesson from the message. I mean, yeah. as you're talking, you, you brought up, I had an amazing uh, student. I loved absolutely. She was super bright, talented, got senioritis. Uh, one of the classes I taught was an independent study program uh, where kids moved at their own pace. I certainly tried to create schedules and re send out email reminders and what have you. Uh, and also sent out progress reports and, and the computer itself provided that progress. Um, and the parents were able to monitor it or at least see it at some level. But in the end, uh, especially some of the seniors were very late in getting started. And I'm talking like the last two weeks. And there came a point where it was a government class that had a lot of reading and a lot of work. And there was just no way, despite my best efforts to try to get her to start earlier. Uh, and it was about two or day, two or three days before the end of the semester, she came up and said, I, you know, I'm just so burnt out and exhausted. I can't finish. I said, I, I know. And, and I also can't give you the grade. I'm just not going to do it. I, I care too much about you to do that. Um, she came back and told me because she had to do the government class over the summer, required class to graduate anywhere in the state of California. And she told me it was the best lesson she had learned. She had, in fact, won in a, um, um, in a, she was in a different class of mine as well. And we had won this video film where she had gone to the state Capitol. We were touring the Capitol and she, in exactly what you would hope would happen with those high school tours of the Capitol, she looked and said, I want to be here. Uh, uh, Tony Atkins gave a speech and she looked and just, it was like, she realized that she too could be in there. Uh, and then she goes wow. and fails government, you know, and it was <laughs> right. so hard for me to hold that line, but I'm not helping her by giving her a grade. I'm not helping her by changing the rule for her, even though I like her or what have you. And and I made that very clear to her at the start, the middle and the end. And she came back to thank me for it. And those are those. And I think I'm trying to go back to what you just said. And it's like, um, I, I respect you too much to take give away that, you know, yeah, exactly. You're going to eliminate this. It feels good at the time. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's, it's easy to do. Yes, mm -hmm. it's going to make the student feel better, but it's not going to serve them long term. And I, I use the, the analogy all the time with the, you know, if you give the two year old the candy during the tantrum, you better buy a lot of candy. That's right. 
And you're also going to set them up for failure later when suddenly you can't do something for them and they don't know why. And, and they don't know any better. This mm-hmm. is how well, we train them. Right. We've trained them and, very well. And they're either training me. I mean, I, I got two four-year-old kids and they're either training me or I'm training them. And I, and right now we're working with uh, one of my boys on getting his socks on. And if I don't want to be standing over him at 10, 12, 15 years old, putting his clothes on, he's got to learn how to do right. it. And right. he's got it all down except for the socks and for, for what he's got wide feet and they don't go on and he gets frustrated easily, especially because his brother's got him on and he's running around in his shoes. Oof. And so there's some time pressure now. Right. Um, but, but it's just positive reinforcements and, 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 uh, and encouragement and letting them struggle. And nobody wants to see somebody struggle, but you do. I mean, that's, that's the, I think about competitions. Like I think about um, uh, the CrossFit games. I have a good friend who's a CrossFit international champion and we've gone to see these championship games. And I mean, these guys, it is brutal what they go through, but it's in that struggle that the greatness comes out. Absolutely. Right. If, if a marathon was easy, everybody would do it and there'd be no satisfaction in it. Right. And I think, which is also why like with, uh, with Armstrong and the cheating and the doping. Right. I mean, here's this incredible uh, um, achievement and then it's just tainted and soured and people feel like betrayed, you know, because the trust what's real and, and, and what was achieved, you know? Right. And that's been a a constant struggle here, you know, uh, with teachers and students and the, the impact of grades uh, and, you know, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole because that's a whole other episode about, you know, uh, college acceptance and the pressures mm-hmm. of all that. But mm-hmm. much of this is tied to that. But the trying to flip the script, just as you said it so well before, that when it feels like we need to do this thing to help the kid out, well, let's just help them out this one time because they're going to be better later. The answer is no. They will get better later if they have this experience. Now, we cannot shield our kids from every possible negative experience or they will end up anxiety ridden depressed and unable to accept any challenge life throws at them which what do you know we're seeing that now yeah and i think that uh there's an incredible book called uh raising self-resilient kids in a self-indulgent world Mm. and uh it's written by a, a pediatrician um, and she brings up an example of a mother of this frazzled mother at a, at a, a supermarket that she runs into one of her patients. And uh, rather than giving her three-year-old, uh, the kid was, I think, three in the story, the animal cracker box to let the kid open it himself, uh, the mother was opening it while trying to do other stuff and feeling frustrated that she was so overwhelmed. When the fact is she's making herself overwhelmed by not allowing the kid the, to, to do the challenges, you know, and, and personally, again, with four-year-old kids, what do they want to do when we have cereal and milk? They want to pour the cereal. They want to pour the milk. And the only way they're ever going to get good at pouring milk is to spill it out, knock the bowl. I mean, we've done all yeah. that. Yeah. And, and now that they're really good at pouring milk, they, and, and so it's that age appropriate um, responsibility and uh, element of being part of the family that I'm continually trying to ask myself, where can they, uh, where can they, you know, right now they're emptying dishwashers and putting away pokey knives and, but that's how they learn about it. Right. Yeah. And this is exactly why I wanted to have you on because you are bringing that 
four-year-old <laughs> view. <laughs> Can I start tapping and drumming incessantly right. and not stopping? And I've got a 22-year-old and a 19-year-old. So I've seen <laughs> right. the end result of you know my missteps when they were four. Right. Um, you've also got the added benefit of, of twin four-year-olds. So like you said, like I never had that challenge well, I, where no, one can do it and the other one can't all well, of a sudden. Like, oh, man. <laughs> but no, I will say you. the greatest thing about having twins, and I encourage anybody that is thinking about kids, have twins because it immediately takes away any sense that you're doing anything other than keeping them alive. Like those <laughs> kids are who they are from the minute they came out, their personalities, how they drank milk, how they sleep, how they wake up, their, how they get angry, how they calm down. I mean, my two boys are just so different, even though they're super great close friends and they're brothers, but uh, having it at the same time, one was talking six weeks before the other one, the right. other one was walking four weeks before the other one. And it's just like there is a progression and they're in the target spectrum range and that's it, you know, I mean, uh, and they have their own unique interests and, 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 um, and talents. Um, but, but it is, it, it is like as a parent, you know, I, I think about this as a teacher, um, I constantly ask myself, how can I help the kid be successful, independent and happy as a math teacher? The, and as a teacher trainer, I was a teacher trainer in the district for 20 years. Um, one of the things I always encourage math teachers uh, when they're going around, after you're done with the lesson or whatever uh, thing you're doing at the board, when you're individually helping kids, never pick up the pencil. Every kid wants you to pick the pencil up right. and do the problem. Yeah. Uh, you know, the really great teachers, they never pick up the pencil. They explain things so that the kid can do the work. And I think one of the hardest things, at least I will speak for me, one of the hardest things to do as a parent was to not pick up the pencil. Uh, ch super challenging. Yeah. I mean, uh, and anybody who's ever taught one of their kids how to drive, you know, you're forced <laughs> into that scenario because you don't have a second steering wheel or gas pedal or brake. You have to sit in another seat and just white knuckle it. And for many parents, that's the first time we've ever truly let go. That's why you see so many Facebook posts about here we go, you know, mm -hmm. with the, the image in the car. And that hit me like a ton of bricks uh, when that started happening to me. Like, okay, I, I've, I've definitely crossed the line. I've gone too far with them because this should have been a lot easier. I don't remember right. either one of my parents spending two minutes thinking about me getting my learner's permit. I, you know, we actually, the class was given through Tory Pines back in the day. So I took it here. With a gym then, teacher, I hope. <laughs> of course. Um, and then got my learner's permit and that was the end of it. And they just kind of went, okay. Um, I do remember my stepdad taking me out a couple of times because he was more patient than either one of my parents. Uh, yep. So, well, and if there's any takeaway blurb that somebody, you know, everyone like, uh, here's the ultimate millennial reference. Anyone watching Eddie Murphy delirious though, he always told that joke about the rabbit and the bear there. Uh, so everyone could go home and tell an Eddie Murphy joke, but uh, don't pick up the pencil. Like right. if you need a little tagline to remember, uh, when, how can you help your kid be independent, successful, and happy? How can you help them develop self-resilience? Is this challenge at their age level appropriate? And if it is, let them struggle. That, Yeah. And I sometimes put it in, um, you know, dramatic terms. Like if, you know, a little kid never burns their hand on anything when they're older, are they going to get, are they, you know, going to get themselves involved in a really big fire? Cause they have no idea that fire has heat and can burn them. Right. Um, there's some lessons we have to learn really young 
and accept them so that we can uh, be more independent, successful and happy uh, later in life. And it's very, very difficult because we've got advantages future or past generations didn't have. Um, we have ways to uh, keep our kids protected and we have to give ourselves a, a, a little bit of leeway because there's a lot of research out there about what caused this, you know, mm -hmm. what, what created the bubble wrap mentality and some of it's valid, you know, the, the seventies were a violent time, you know, all, and then you get the rise of media that starts scaring us about kidnappers and serial killers and all that. It's like, you mm -hmm. know what, we're moving to a cul-de-sac. We're all going to know our neighbors and we're going to make sure we watch our kids 24 seven. They're going to play right in front of me. We're not going to let them, you know, go through. I mean, I, how many construction sites did you play in as a kid? Cause it was a lot for me. <laughs> well, and I know that like, I have a friend that grew up, uh, well, in fact, not only the New York kids that taken the train at eight or 10 or 12, but also the, right. uh, the, I was just talking to somebody that grew up on Coronado and he was talking about getting onto the ferry with his bike and going out to La Mesa and, uh, just, there was an independence and an expectation. And today a lot of people might even like, as if it's child abuse to let someone develop, be free, you know, to not be yeah. constantly uh, monitored. Um, the, the other thing I was thinking about in, in, in what we were talking about as a, as a, as a high school teacher for seniors, the number of kids, I remember when I was in college, there was a kid that uh, after the first semester didn't come back. Um, and we were at a small, there was one person that was in my kind of circle of group that didn't come back. And I, uh, and I didn't quite understand, but, but understood over time that he was, that, that it was just too much for him to be away from home. And he got mm -hmm. anxious and what have you, and didn't perform and grades, uh, tanked. And even though he was a bright guy and, um, and I think the, 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 the challenge for parents that aren't, encouraging their kids to be independent and to be self-sufficient and to feel confident in themselves to to go away uh is that they're they're going to meet that challenge of being uh faced with the difficulty of being alone and i have no experience with it you know i i went to boy state when i was in high school as a junior i was selected for my call and, and i spent two weeks at michigan state university as a doing the boy state program, I, I won an arts and science thing and went away for another three weeks that summer. And, you know, I didn't even think I was just happy to go and excited to go, but I didn't think about how happy my parents must've been at some level that I was, that I wasn't worried about being alone or that I wasn't right. worried about having to face teachers and new random kids from all around the state and, and learn how to interact with those people and be on teams and solve problems. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, I'm, of course, you know, like I said, uh, looking a lot at my own family and my own kids and, you know, mistakes my parents made, successes my parents had. And one of the good things is my dad gave me enough freedom, but when it went too far, reined it in, you know, oh, yeah. on, on occasion. Um, I wish he had reined it in more. I, I definitely would have liked a little bit more direction when I was in high school. Uh, and now I'm finding myself emulating that a little bit you know, letting my kids do their own thing and try to figure it out. Should I be giving them more direction, trying to navigate that? You know, then again, this is a, you know, my dad put me on a red eye to New York for college and I had never been there before and just said, <laughs> Goodbye. Let, let me know when you get to the dorm. And I didn't have a dorm yet. So I just <laughs> shut up in the middle of New York city with two bags. And, uh, does anyone know where the college is? Um, 
you know, and now, you know, my son, uh, Nick is, uh, living uh, back at home for his senior year. He was in an apartment for a while and my daughter's up, up at college and I, and I'm watching them navigate, uh, the independence of it all. And I started thinking about it a lot this summer cause we had five people in my house cause my son also had a friend staying with us. So we had five adults navigating the house and that was a whole new experience. Um, but I included in my uh, vision presentation this year with the staff, the dropout rate in college mm -hmm. uh, that right now only 44% of students yep. actually graduate from college within six years, not in the yep. four, but within the six. And this is something we don't want to talk about. We spend so much time getting them ready for college, but to your point, I don't know that we're getting them ready in the right way. And I think that the, one of the differences between having gone to a small liberal arts school with 1,200 people and having also attended San Diego State, and San Marcos, and, and uh, uh, the difference of because those smaller liberal arts schools have like a 96% graduation rate, right? I mean, because because they're you're just carried in some ways and 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 uh, or chaperoned or kept tabs on, whereas if you're in a school with 18,000 or 30,000 right. kids there's just isn't that same kind of connection. And, uh, and so you've got to have it yourself or you have to have it through um, the network of your support. And uh, so that they, that they can focus on the school and focus on their academics and focus on developing rather than so focus on survival. Right. And, and if they haven't had the experience of some level of independence beforehand, right. again, the dirty little secret is that dropout rate because you see so many kids going back immediately getting homesick and within yep. a semester coming back home and that's normal. I mean, that's happened throughout time, but I, it's happening more and more and that's concerning. And at the same time, it's also good if somebody recognizes this is now the, the challenge is no longer the school. The challenge is my own mental health. Yeah. I mean, so it is a great thing that kids feel uh, whether it's I got I'm going to spend the the next semester at home and get my feet under my ground or take another year and get get the, the yeah. basics out of the way. But um, but again, to go back to the question, how do we get kids established and ready and supported? both internally and externally so that when they take that step forward, they take it successfully and can keep moving into their future. Which for the record, we've only asked one question so far in <laughs> typical Rob and Don fashion. Uh, we've we're answered well seven. into the podcast with one question. <laughs> we've talked a little bit about uh, the impact, but I want to dig in a little bit more what you've seen from the teacher perspective in the classroom, what you've had a chance to reflect on now that you've been outside of the classroom. I'm really curious about you having a little time away from this over the last few months because you just recently retired mm -hmm. and you know has it helped give you a little perspective about this concept and the impact on kids or have you just been focused on chasing two four-year-olds trying to get oh. their socks on <laughs> <laughs> yeah most of the attention's been on the four-year-olds right. what, okay. what one of one of the things that is is fascinating to me i was talking about something along this line that wasn't necessarily the topic bubble wrap, but I was talking to a college professor and he said, uh, and this guy is again, about 50. He said in the last five years, he's been having students hand him their phone. These are college students, hand him their phone and say, this is my parent, my, my mother or my father. And they want to talk to you. Yeah. And, and, and he just looked at me like, could, have you ever, could you ever imagine like a, a college student handing you their phone and, suggesting that the parent is going to talk to 
the, the professor about a grade or a test or what have you. And uh, so, I, I mean, at every level. Um, I'm, I'm going to jump in. Sorry. Yeah. But one of my greatest parenting successes of all time, I'll never forget, was Nick's first year of college. And he's in community college and he's working because I pushed him. I said, look, if you're going to live at home, community college, you need to get a job. Um, and I really want, wanted both the kids to work, to have to have some other boss other than me and, you know, have to figure that navigate that whole world. So we had some sort of family event or something like that. And Nick had come in and he's like, ah, you know, they, they schedule me for such and such a day. And, and, um, I've got something else going on. And I said, do you want me to call the manager for you? And he looked at me like, what's wrong with you? Mm -hmm. And he just went, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, and I stopped and went, he's absolutely right. Why on earth would I call his manager That's right. to say, he's got an event this weekend. Thank you very much. And and I just, I loved Nick's reaction that moment. Like that would right. have been so mortifying to have his father call his boss. Exactly. And, and yet that was my initial reaction. I'll take care of this for you. Right. Right. And, 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 and we've got to be gentle with ourselves yes. because we're doing that because we, we love our kids. Right. And, right. uh, it's all coming from a good place. All of the for sure the 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 bubble wrapping is coming from a good place. We, who wants to see their kid hurt? Right. Who wants to see them have negative experiences or struggle? But, right. But we've got to find some sort of peace within ourselves to say, yes, our kid burned their hand. Now they know fire's hot, mm -hmm. and then we can help them afterwards. We can support them. We can watch them navigate that. And every single time they do that they get stronger mm -hmm. and they get better. Mm -hmm. They get, as you said, more independent, more resilient, more resilient, yep. which helps them be more successful and happy. Mm -hmm. It really is. I mean, you, you, the idea that I'm capable, that I'm trustworthy, that uh, I can take a risk. These are the internal guides that we want kids to have. And if Somebody is constantly walking on either side. And I, what, one thing I have realized is I have said one word in the last four years, 10 million thousand times more than I've ever said any other word or that same word, careful. If I've said careful oh, once, wow. I've said careful yeah. 5 million times <laughs> because the kids want to walk on curbs, you know, like, uh, I don't mean in the street, but, but any kind of ledge, <laughs> you know, right, anything right. dangerous and edgy, they, um, and, and, and it's this constant, careful, careful, careful. Um, and I try to stop myself. And at the same time, I want to, so now I'm more likely to give, you know, make sure your thumbs are on the plate when you're carrying it or give some clear direction rather than just constantly following them around saying careful. <laughs> <laughs> Which is impossible to not do with four-year-olds. Like, okay, let's put the steak knives down. Careful. You know, try not to overreact to, okay, oh, no, don't put your hand in the blender. Uh, let's. Oh my God. So, uh, um, that leads to, uh, uh, you know, my next question was like, so you've got four-year-olds. Yeah. I know what I've done. Yeah. Are you finding, uh, yourself having that urge to say careful five million times and bubble wrap them a little bit? I, and... I do say careful, but I don't bubble wrap them. So, I mean, for instance, there was a couple of weeks ago, uh, that a new parent came with their kid we have those four-year-old little soccer group on Friday. And I don't know how, but for the entire four, 45 minute uh, uh, lesson or whatever you want to call it, the soccer game, uh, this parent didn't seem to understand that there were all the other parents were on the sideline while this parent was with their kid the entire time. Uh -huh. 
and oh, no. uh, and the coach was cool because he you know he didn't want to tell her to get off the field but uh, i just thought to myself you know take a take the cue from the rest of the parents or you know the coach is amazing yeah. and um and you're it's not like you're leaving the park you're still right here but but so there's the what's for sure is it's a balance and it's a dynamic situation and one of the things about a dynamic situation is it's not static which means it's never in one place it's never stay it's never just that and you know especially like with little kids whatever it is 6 months later it's going to be different right or 3 right, months later right. so um yeah that's true and, and so there's this constant level of what can they do and and i have to say honestly my husband is way better at at i mean he's actually had them carry hot coffee to me the coffee isn't full he's with them behind them but they love like bringing you know on a weekend Absolutely. bringing me uh, me a hot cup of coffee and um if the first time they came through the door i'm like careful 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 <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know this is how they develop their self-esteem that's how they develop their sense of self-belief and self resilience and all those things see and that's the key point that's what i've been really really spinning on over the last couple of years is all the research out there about um kids not doing simple things like i remember when i was uh, six my job was to make the toast for breakfast yep and most of it was burnt yep but i did it, it was my contribution to breakfast you got it and yet with my kids i made everything for them it was in the oven so when they got up in the morning it was there for them because i was always left before them for work and robbing them of though that experience of i did that myself yep i figured it out i burned it last time i didn't burn it this time because i know where the little knob is to turn it down yep i figured that out and now i'm proud of my work yes and they miss that piece yeah and if you don't get that piece at six and then you don't get it in middle school and you don't get it in high school because now we're making sure that all the grades are perfect and everything's been mowed down for them this is why they're missing out on this key component that helps them deal with things like a pandemic that suddenly hits. Yeah. You know, and bigger picture issues that are devastating, but they haven't had the small successes throughout their lives. And that's going to contribute to, uh, to depression and anxiety and mental health issues. Um, and that, and like I said before, that's, that's what we're seeing this, this rise in. And I, and I think that, um, any place that I can ask that I can involve the kids to be, to take part, uh, taking out the trash, they, they, can they bring out the big bag? No, they can't, but can they bring out smaller things to recycle? Yes. And they right. love to do it. They love to wash the dishes. Now we've got them washing dishes. Um, you know, and I, and I, and as you talk about laundry, not only was I doing my laundry, but there was a, a one Thanksgiving where my mom went to California mm -hmm. to see her family and I made an entire Thanksgiving meal at 13 years old, right? Wow. The gravy, yeah. the whole thing. Um, and, uh, and, and I, I remember it. I remember the f feeling of pride I had about that. Um, in fact, it was, it was a different sense of pride than my grades, right? I mean, I was in the advanced third grade and AP honors, everything and show but, off, but that the, 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 the life stuff is much different than getting A's on tests. It just feels more like it's mine, you know, and once you learn something, nobody can ever take it away from you. And that feeling of I'm capable is being taken away from kids because the opportunities aren't being provided for them in some situations. I, I completely agree. I'm, I'm, I'm 
I'm still hung up on the fact you were in advanced math classes and I was in remedial <laughs> math classes. So thanks for the reminder. Um, but no, it's, it's a good reminder that um, I was in remedial math classes. I remember I was, I was sent down to the remedial class in, in middle school. Um, cause I mean, I was struggling. I, I remember distinctly having trouble with long division and, uh, you know, crying at home, trying to, to figure this stuff out. And when I took, uh, and then, then I failed algebra uh, freshman year of high school here at Tory, and I took it over the summer. And I remember when it clicked all of a sudden that incredible feeling. Yes. And, but I had to go through that negative side of it to figure it out. And then I took geometry the next year and loved geometry. And all of a sudden went, oh, math isn't evil. This is fantastic. And got really, really into it um, up to a point. Uh, obviously, <laughs> I did not teach it like you did. Um, but uh, that sense of, I mean, from a dark place of, you yep. know, a seventh grade kid being embarrassed that he's going back into this other class without his friends um, to, you know, a pretty confident sophomore at that point doing well in geometry. That was, it's a long time, um, that I had to work through it, but it made me a lot more confident later and we're not even giving it a day now. Yeah. And that self image and the struggle, uh, and, and I'm, I would never suggest to someone like that, that the, the, the suffering that generates from not succeeding when you're not being supported in order to be able to be successful that's not a good thing. We never, you know, you don't want some kid that can't swim to be out the deep end of the ocean, of the, of the right. pool. Right. But, and, and you, when you were talking, you reminded me at, at sunset, I had a kid come into my class. He was a junior and I, and I get the transcript cause I got to pick his classes and he, and I see that he has failed algebra eight semesters in a row. And I, <laughs> and, uh, um, he failed at freshman, freshman year for the fall, spring, failed it through the summer, failed at sophomore year, failed it through the summer. And I asked him, what was it like sophomore year when you're in that freshman class and it's your, you've got an F you're halfway through the spring semester, you know, you can't, he goes, dude, that just sucks so bad. <laughs> it just every day going to that class just sucked. Right. And, and no, this is, this is not, this is not helpful for him. It's not helpful for that class. There's the, the, and he was able to complete algebra in a normal, uh, uh, in fact, I think he did two semesters and one semesters once he was able to actually pay attention and, and be motivated enough to want to graduate because it was a required class. Let's, let's figure out how you can do this. If you're willing to do the struggle, uh, I'll help you understand it. And, 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 and so it's, it's sort of recognizing, and this is one of the great requirements of great teachers is how can you develop a relationship with a kid that they're going to trust you? You know, here's this kid that's failed yeah. this class eight times. Why would he even try? Mm -hmm. And that was half the battle for me with Mike was how do I get you to trust me enough that we're going to do this? I'm not going to let you fall. And I'm also not going to do it for you. Yeah. And there's the key. I'm also not going to do it. For no you. way. No, and this is on you. But you're right. That's the, as I said before, the delicate balance we try to strike as teachers to make sure the student's supported, to mm -hmm. um, come up with strategies unique to that student that they can still achieve that goal and not just check the box, not just get the grade and move on and, you know, um, you know, pass the student because he's failed it eight times. So he's clearly reviewed it enough. Oh, right. You know, maybe it is time that we just move on. But uh, he has now had to do it that ninth time yep. and solved it. 
So the next time he faces something, he knows, hey, it may take me nine times. I can do but it. But I'm going to get it done. Right. Wasn't it fall down eight times, get up nine? Get up nine, right. Yeah. Right. So I've been thinking a lot about, you know, we had this term in education. They changed it recently, but it used to be called at-risk kids. Yeah. And an at-risk kid would be somebody maybe from poverty or, you know, even a second language learner uh, or uh, a kid who's got a very difficult home life for some reason, maybe lost a parent or like any reason that they were at risk of not being successful in school. And I started wondering if we've got to start looking at some of our bubble wrapped kids as at risk because we are not to get ser too serious here, but we're seeing the mental health effects of this lack of dopamine that they're getting from a success, right? That feeling that hit you get like, Hey, I did it. This feels great. They're missing out on that. And that's putting them at risk for serious mental issues later on. And do we need to start saying that these students are truly at risk rather than advantage? And interestingly enough, I went to a conference once an at risk conference and, uh, that one of the speakers said every kid's at risk. Yeah. Which, you know, yeah. the problem with saying every kid's at risk, well, then there's no, what's the, then nobody's for? at risk. Exactly. Right. But the truth is being a teenager is tough. It's rough. It's never difficult. been harder, never been harder. And it's never been harder than right now. There, yeah. There's, and, and with the internet, it's also never been harder to be a parent because Correct. the internet has opened up every stranger in the world, every creep, every freak, and they're all have access to, to kids 24 seven. If, if we allow that. And, and of course, some of the kids want to, to push that envelope or to, or they're cu just curious, right? I mean, kids yeah. are curious and we want them to be curious, but we want them to be curious within boundaries to make sure that they're safe, um, and productive, um, but I absolutely think, I mean, when, when we're talking about at risk, there's the at risk of the of the financial or the physical, what, whether they're eating or whether they're sleeping, are they homeless? Um, there's also the at risk of the, uh, uh, and also in the physical, are they being abused in some way? Right. But there's also the at risk of the mental. Are they tormented internally by themselves? Are they tormented because of being, uh, you know, they've got the great Santini as their dad? Um, that's an eighties reference for you <laughs> keeping score at home. <laughs> Welcome to the Gen X podcast with Rob and Don. Uh, and, and, and also at, at, emotionally, right. Are they, are they so up and down and have they, do they have so little self-modulation and so little self-control and so little impulse control mm -hmm. and, and sadly video games for what, and I'm a, you know, old school defender, uh, eighties reference. Uh, video game guy, but video games today are, are, are and screen time in general, just really crank kids uh, um, impulses, right? I mean, we turn the TV off and kids want to flip out and turn off the video games. And I mean, I've had kids talk to me about, the, you know, the, the struggles at home around uh, video games and also parents. So, and that's, that's about brain chemistry. Right. Right. And that uh, I would jump in and say that, you know, that's part of the problem because they're attracted to the video games and the phones because that's where they're getting the sense of satisfaction. It's cat and candy. accomplishment. It's just easy cotton right. candy. It's an easy the it, likes and everything else. It's designed to feed the brain and keep you hooked. And how do you convince a teenager that, trust me, you're going to be better off right. getting the sense of satisfaction of doing your own laundry. Right. And versus the playing laundry. Call of Duty. <laughs> Now that's, that, it, it, that's an impossible conversation for a parent to have because the kid's going to look at you like you got horns growing out of your head, but and, it's and the right thing to do. Right. And the challenge is where, you know, you get 
you got chore time and then the reward is the call of duty or the minecraft or what have you right and i guess that's you know to to you know start wrapping this up that's what i'm trying to get at is like how do parents find this happy medium because we're educators we're parents we've done that i want to you know have these conversations because i know i've made mistakes i've also had some successes again like i said when um you know with my son's manager and there i've had other parenting wins um, trying to find that happy medium. Do you think parents can find a happy medium in this this information For glut sure. of a world? I, I, again, I don't think there's a there is no answer. Right? Th there are solutions. Well, then why am I asking questions? <laughs> well, again, listen to what I said. There is no answer, but there are solutions, and okay. those are different. Right? An answer right. is a single number. A solution are the various ways you can get to that number. And there's a math math reference. Um, it, and it, and as I would say in, in, in some of my presentations with the teachers, uh, I would have 20 or 30 new teachers in a room. And the thing I would remind them at the end of the day, because I remember being a new teacher myself, I wanted a magic wand. I wanted the magic wand that was going to answer the questions yeah. and solve the problems and figure out the classroom management. And, and, and I would remind every new teacher, you are the magic wand. And I would remind the parents or anyone listening to this, you're the magic wand. You have to develop a sense of awareness enough to see not only what the short-term implication of giving the piece of candy or not giving the piece of candy is, but the, the long-term impact of it. Yeah, I was talking to yeah. a friend. I was, I was by myself. I had met up with some uh, teacher friends, retired teacher friends for lunch, um, had a great lunch. I was walking down the boardwalk in Mission Bay. And uh, I was passing an ice cream place and I was by myself, no kids. And I, and I thought, oh, I could have an ice cream. I could be on the beach with an ice cream by myself. Like, and I had this whole <laughs> fantasy in my head about walking alone without having to tell anyone to be careful or, you know, find anyone, just me alone with an ice cream on the beach. And then I thought to myself, well, I don't really need to eat ice cream, right? I don't. And if I do have ice cream, I want to eat it with my kids because they like ice cream. And I wouldn't. And I almost feel guilty about having ice cream alone without having them with me. But in the end, the question whether whether I got the ice cream or not is not the problem or the question. Both of those things can be fine. The, the, but the fact that I think about what I'm doing and choose, it's in that reflection that the good decisions made. And as a parent, if I'm not on autopilot, if I'm not just automatically acquiescing to everything the kid wants, if I'm not automatically, I mean, I absolutely believe your kids. You know, if your kids are saying stuff, you want to believe them. You also, much like Reagan said, you want to believe them and, you know, verify, trust and verify, right? Right. And, and so uh, there's got to be the additional piece of information to find out what's really going on. But in the end, it's about wrestling with the question more than trying to find the answer or, or the idea that there is a single answer because it could be both. It could be, you know, it could be the piece of candy or it could be not the piece of candy. It really is more about what am I doing? It is what I'm doing, creating the kind of kid that I want, the kind of kid that is independent, successful and happy. You know, I mean, one of the things that Anthony and I talk about all the time is I enjoy my kids. I enjoy having breakfast with them. I enjoy going to the playground with them. I enjoy going to soccer. I enjoy going to the mountains. I enjoy going to the museums. I enjoy my kids. They're not perfect kids and they, you know, they're four. They have emotional ups and downs. But in general, I'm trying to do a thing where I'm trying to interact with them so that 
they're 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 grateful, they're appreciative, they say thank you, and I'm training them. They're not training me. That's my job as a parent. Yeah. Your whole uh, ice cream uh, <laughs> made like, you want one. was so exhausting. <laughs> it's a perfect example of how difficult it is for parents. <laughs> the f- I mean. I don't think either one of my parents thought for two seconds about doing anything that wasn't completely about them in the moment. And I don't mean that necessarily as a criticism. They just did their stuff. Right. And it's like now as parents were like, can I even have an ice cream on my own? Is that allowed? Will my kids be upset if I, if I'm eating ice cream? Cause they like ice cream. I should get, the, I mean, that is so stinking exhausting. Could I we're buy all, an ice cream and drive it home really right. fast? But we're doing that all day, every day. No wonder we're so exhausted mentally just at the end. I oh, forget it. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't need any ice cream. We're, we're doing Uber Eats. I can't make dinner because I cannot <laughs> think. I can't think anymore because we can't even decide if we can get ourselves an ice cream. Oh, we need help. Don, thank you very, very much uh, for this conversation today. This will not be the last time you're on the podcast. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to you being back. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. That's all for today's episode. I want to thank my guest, Don Collins, for joining me today. And I want to thank you for listening. If you found our conversation thought-provoking and want to know more, I hope you rate and subscribe in whatever app you use for podcasts. But more importantly, I hope you keep asking what's best for kids. Thanks for listening. Thank you.